All right, welcome back to Linjaw Hockey Podcast. We're in partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Productions. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? Doing great, Andrew. Excited for this guest. You actually um, booked this guest, which is great. Yep. But I love it because we're going to talk everything about coaching um, and all the behind-the-scenes video stuff and everything else. So this is going to be a great insider info on the uh, fascinating uh coaching aspects of, of hockey. So hit the intro. Yeah, man. So today we're excited to have with a special guest, TJ Miller. So in his younger years, TJ played in the AJHL and other junior leagues, including a professional stint in 2013, 2014, but quickly transitioned over to coaching and development the following year in Sweden. TJ later returned back to North America as video coach for the Tri-City Americans of the WHL. And then from 2016 to 2021, was assistant coach first in the SJHL and then later in the AJHL. Last season, TJ was hired by the Maple Leafs organization where he was development coach associate for their AHL and ECHL affiliate. Now this year, he has returned back to the Tri-City Americans as an associate coach, and we're excited to hit the ground running, Dad, like you said, to get all the inside scoop about coaching. So TJ, thanks for joining us today, man. Thank you, man. Thank you guys very much. Really happy to be here. So TJ, I know that uh, that was probably a blast in the past talking about everything, including some of the old uh, playing days in Sweden. So I kind of want to start with that, um, playing in those junior leagues in Canada, and then uh, we'll transition over to Sweden. So can you talk a little bit about the AJHL and the other leagues over in Canada? Yeah, so for me, that was that was over 10 years ago now. I was just a young guy. Uh, I played my minor hockey in Calgary and born and raised there. And, you know, I grew up like everyone else, loving playing around the rink. You know, I had a very supportive family that gave me and presented me with a lot of opportunities to continue my passion to play the game up until I was 18. And at that time, you know, I, you know, if even if you look me up, I don't have dazzling stats. I don't have a, a star studded career. You know, I just I just love to play the game and I wanted to see where it took me. Um, my 18 year old season, I played a few games of junior A in Alberta with the Calgary Canucks. It was basically it was right in my hometown. So I was right at home. It was pretty comfortable. And you know, I got cut. So I, I had an opportunity to play junior B with some of my friends out in Columbia Valley in the Kootenai International League. And I found myself at a little bit of a crossroads. You know, I you know, the, the playing thing for me at that point in time wasn't really going the way I had planned. So I ultimately made the decision to transition into looking to do something else. So midway through the season, I went into my coach, Wade Dublowitz, former New York Islanders goaltender, who I actually couldn't consider a really good friend of mine to this day. And I said, hey, look, man, I think uh, I think I got to do something else here. I just don't know if I have the same passion that, that I used to. So I went home for a few months. Uh, for a few years leading up to that point, I was a lead instructor and a junior instructor with Hockey Canada. And I had some really good mentors. And one guy I wanted to reach out to at this point was Ross McLean. And with the support of my father, we had learned about this program in Finland. It was a program that was specialized in ice hockey coaching where you got a bachelor's degree in sport and leisure management. It was a program funded and created by the IIHF where they wanted to produce hockey coaches for their member national associations. And for someone like me, there was a little tinkering back and forth trying to figure out what they wanted to do, whether it was to go to school and pursue a business degree or did I have an opportunity to stay inside the game? I found an opportunity to stay in. You know, I, I loved it. I didn't see myself taking that you know, corporate world route. I wanted to stay involved in the game and try and try my hack at coaching or scouting, whatever it might've been. So I took a shot. I applied to go study at the Veramaki campus. And I was a lucky guy that was fortunate enough to get accepted. And at 19 years old, I was moving across the world to start my post-secondary degree. Um, my first season was a little bit of a roller coaster being a young guy that moved across the pond. You know, obviously where English isn't your first language, 
you're you're going with people that you don't know people from all over the world and I was really fortunate to have an opportunity to play at the under 20 level my first year there so that really gave me a lot of perspective outside of the Canadian norm of hockey you know getting a first-hand look at how the Finnish Ice Hockey Federation or the Finnish Ice Hockey Association excuse me administers their teachings and their protocols and I was right in there firsthand like I was I was being coached in Finnish you talk about being a wide-eyed teenager and it's like you pick things up really quick and it was a really pivotal time for me because I thought I I was forced to grow up fast and it's actually funny going into this podcast reflecting on the last 10 years of my life I thought it was a really important decision that I made at that time and I believe it was the right one you know I have been fortunate over the last 10 years to be surrounded by so many people in so different so many different situations it's uh it's gone by quick but I've, I've learned a lot and I've really enjoyed it so far yeah, I was going to ask, so growing up in Canada, you know, we've heard that obviously there's a lot of pressure if you want to become a pro hockey player, if that's your dream, that there are certain routes that you take sometimes, maybe not go to college right away. You can always do that later. You go the major junior route. You were kind of talking about the route you were going. So for coaching, was there a specific route you're pressured into? I know that you had the, the opportunities that fell right in place, or was it just like, right. no, this is the one way I want to do it? Right. For me, when I was coming out of university, I, I, as a kid, you know, being from Calgary with the Calgary Hitmen and everything, I had a I had a deep, strong passion for the Western Hockey League. You know, I just think it's such a great league with how they produce players and obviously the international attention that they get with the strong European strength of players that they get as well. It was just something I've always followed in my teenage years. And when I had an opportunity to come to the Tri-City Americans on what was slated as an internship coming out of university, I took it as an opportunity for me to get my foot in the door in the North American coaching stream. Uh, at the beginning of my career, I thought video or scouting role was something that I was going to be, you know, rolling with and going for. Because at that time, I was always hampered on the fact that, you know, you didn't play. How could you coach? You know, but for, for me, I was under the impression that, you know, that that didn't matter. I was I was a passionate guy. I took a, I took my time going through my opportunities and I just wanted to make sure I was surrounded by people that were going to give me opportunities to learn. So when I had come back to the Tri-City Americans, I, I took this opportunity as a quote-unquote intern and had the opportunity to work with Mike Williamson and Brian Pellerin in my first year. And they gave me a lot of responsibility. There are only two coaches on the staff. So for me, given that opportunity at such an early age, basically the same age as the players, I was 21, it really showed me that you know there was, there was an opportunity here. So uh, a lot of younger guys would have some international experience via – under 16, under whatever um, international play, but you were actually over there in Finland for a while. Do you remember what was the one of the one or two of the big major things being a Western um, Canada guy to now you're over learning that sort of Swedish Finnish style play? Anything that was eye opening to you at that the time? One, the one thing I thought was rather eye opening for me, and it goes into some of my studies as well as it goes into my work with the under 15 Finnish national team when I was there was they preached a lot of athlete centered coaching. You know, my student based curriculum was, was rather unique. One of the first couple of days when we're sitting in the classroom, we had a, a guy by the name of Kari Savaline and sit in with us. And he asked us, what do you guys want to get out of this program? What do, what do you want to learn? Is it the discipline of coaching? Is it the game management, bench management, practice planning and execution? Is it recruiting tactics? Is it overall philosophies of coaching and just open discussions. So actually over the course of a couple hours, we as students created our curriculum over the next few years and they built a curriculum and they built the schedule based around what we wanted to get out of it. And I learned that 
couple weeks later when I was playing for the under 20 team in the nearby region, our coach handed us the whiteboard and said, here, you guys run the power play. I'll mediate it and see what kind of adjustments we can make and we can come to a conclusion here. One of the things that I really took away from that was at the end of the day, in some regard, it's a game that's played by the players on the ice. You give them the tools, you give them the habits and the details. Inevitably, they're the ones that are putting the puck in the net. They're the ones that are going through the routes. They're the ones that are executing. So with that mindset, I believe that it really empowers your players. And I've taken a lot of that into my technique and coaching and dealing with athletes and people in a sense of making sure that they're feeling like they're contributing towards their development. And to me, I know I'm kind of going on a long rant on one tactic here, but I think it's all encompassing of how they're doing such a great job in developing players. I mean, they also do a phenomenal job with their grassroots building from the ground up with their overall technical skills and skating and the opportunity for them to be on the ice at a large amount of time. And, you know, they, they do a really good job putting a lot of emphasis on development and it's really great. I was very fortunate to be there. That's very interesting. So after uh, that time there, you do return to North America this time in the USA and for, with the Tri-City Americans as a video coach. Well, my first question is, first time living in America, right? How was that for you as a young guy? Especially moving <laughs> was... from over the pond back to here, another new country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was great. I mean, I, I've been fortunate enough to have traveled a lot in my time. And by the time I'd come there, I was put in a billet family. So I was actually living with Dennis and Margaret Lohman, who are some of them are minority owners with the franchise. And they, they treated me as their own. You know, I was fortunate enough to be a little self-sufficient at that time. So getting in and around. But, you know, when I was when I was here that first time when I was so young, I just wanted to make it a priority just to put my head down at work. You know, as, as a video coach, I was responsible for a lot of the pre-scouts and putting together all the clips in the video. So I took it upon myself to spend a lot of time preparing the coaches so that when we were ready, you know, all the information was there and provided for the coaches to do their work. So for me, it was great. The, the year went by quick. We unfortunately missed the playoffs, but what a great opportunity in my first year. So it seems like today, and again, I'm, I'm talking with no experience at all, but it seems like today, uh, learning the fine art of, like you said, developing the pre-scouting, developing, uh, well, development, right? Technical skills on players. You might be working not just on uh, um, certain special teams, but it's individual players and going over tape and things that they could improve on. It seems like that's now a necessary thing if you plan on having a career as some sort of coach. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, players nowadays, and I'm sure you guys have heard this before players want information. They want as much assistance or guidance through their own play that is going to help them get to where they want to get to, whether it's the NHL or some kind of pro level overseas or minor league pro or to college. They want information, but they also want to know the why. And I've come to find that video is a very useful tool to support your case. And but it also opens up for a really good exchange of dialogue, which helps build relationships with your players. If you're talking about, uh, let's just say something as simple, simple as um, scoring chance. And you, you have a perspective on a player. Maybe he can go to his backhand here, but your player sees it another way. It opens the dialogue so that you're both learning from one another. And for me, I have found that the open communication or opening that aspect of it with your players, the video just really helps it. And it also helps coaches, you know, deliver meetings and shows reasoning. And it can even enhance buy-in if you're showing positive clips towards your group. I just think it's such an important tool. And as we've seen with technology today, it's becoming more and more advanced. The amount of layers that come inside of 
video, even as far as how fast the players are skating, how fast the puck is being moved. It really comes into a lot of decision making, too, with your roster and your tactical assessment of your group. And it's just something that we, we at least in Tri-Cities, we rely upon it quite significantly. So, you know, you hear guys like Tortorella who, who hate the iPad thing and, and players viewing their shifts right after they're done doing it. Do you think that that's something that uh, is actually useful? I know that video coaching, it's all like after pre-scouting and stuff like that. But especially during a game, do you think sometimes if they screwed up or, or did something and they're trying to look and they get frustrated, do you sometimes think it's smart to take the iPad away? No. Or is that helpful? It's a really interesting question because I myself am finding I think that there's a time or a place for the iPad on the bench. I would lean more so towards a special teams scenario, more so than a five on five. Sometimes I feel as though when you're looking at five on five play, at least sometimes it matters more about what you're doing as a team versus what the opposition is or how you can try and get that chance. Odds are that scoring chance may not happen for that game or maybe not even the next game, but it's just a matter of just getting back to work, keep doing the things that are making us successful as a group. And, you know, at the end of the day, video will be there moving forward. But in-game, uh, you can stick to that for special teams. I want to jump ahead, Andrew. Yeah. You can go back if you want. For sure. I think it's all going to meld together here. Um, so you uh, pick up with the Maple Leaf organization as a developmental coach. And at the time, who were the affiliates for the AHL and the East Coast League? Yeah, so my time with the Maple Leaf organization, I actually spent all – time with all three teams in the organization. So I spent a chunk of time with the Maple Leafs. I spent time with the Marlies in Toronto with, in the American Hockey League. And then I spent some time in St. John's, Newfoundland with the Newfoundland Growlers in the ECHL. Oh, oh Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. How okay. was that traveling all the way to Newfoundland every time? I mean, when we were Yeah, I can't say it right. But I, when they were doing the finals those years ago, yeah, they, they, had fly, they, yeah. they had to fly. Yeah, was, that's rough. Yeah, no, it was uh, – I mean, you know, they – the, the Growlers organization treated me unbelievably. You know, the, the entire Maple Leaf organization treated me unbelievably. And, you know, my time spent with the Growlers, it was it was unreal. You know, I, I was fortunate to spend the first four games of the regular season there spending. I was in Trois-Rivières for their first game in franchise history. We went down to Adirondack and played the Thunder there. So it was, you know, they do tell you stories about the long bus rides. There's some long bus rides in that league. And when we were in the playoffs, we were playing Reading and we actually we flew to Toronto, we bust down to Philly and then landed in Reading for the playoff series. So we got a firsthand experience of what that bus travels like, but no, it's great. Second and non operation there. They're, they treat their players, they treat their staff with so much respect and so much dignity. They're, they're great over there. So the Marlies is such a, a storied, you know, franchise in the, in the American league. Um, are you in a little bit of, I mean, it's a gig, it's a job. Uh, it's the business of hockey. It is what it is, but there's also that, I mean, it's the Marlies, man, right? Or even even in Toronto, I mean, no matter what it is, is there a little bit of a sense of awe when you're just like, you know, I'm working with a working with the Toronto Marlies? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> my my landing of the position with the Maple Leaf organization was a little bit of an oddity. And I it came out late in a sense that I got the job in late August. And, you know, I flew from Calgary to Toronto on a whim and you know, the very first day I got there, I'm on the ice with half the Maple Leafs players and you know, spending some time with them. And it's there's no uh, there's no surprise that those guys are playing at the level that they're playing at. You know, the the skill sets that they have, the, the detail, the determination they have to be at their very best and consistently be at their very best. And, 
you know, working with Greg Moore and his staff and even with Sheldon Keefe and his staff, like the players that they have there are second to none. You know, some of the best players in the world are within that organization. Um, early on, I definitely found myself to be very wide eyed. And, you know, you don't not very often are you around guys like that, at least in, in my coaching experience. I've been around guys from time to time, but to be with those guys every single day, you learn to appreciate even beyond what I thought was a level of appreciation for what they do every single day. And then it was time to get to work, you know, for a little bit. But then it's like, OK, they're players. They want to get better. They have goals in mind. Same as me. Let's work together. Let's accomplish something great. And that's what that year last year ended up being. So is there a blueprint for moving up as a coach because you were video coach assistant developmental now this year associate coach is there like do you have to do all those jobs to move up or is there a specific position like i'm just curious of the the roadmap that you have to get to if like let's say you want to become an assistant or a head coach in the ahl or nhl is there a blueprint at all or is it just people you know like how do you get up there i believe everyone's path is different you know looking on my path, my, my path took me from Finland to the U.S. to Nipawin, Saskatchewan, to Bonneville, kind of went all over. I mean, for me, I, I firmly believe that as a coach, it's important to put yourself in a situation to learn, to grow, and obviously to get better. You know, and I, you know, for me, since I started out so young, I was of the impression that never be in a rush to get somewhere. Be where you are, be present. And as my father always says, he says, be in the now. Because moments are going to pass you by, you might miss an opportunity to learn something. And when the right opportunity comes, well, you better be sure that you're ready for it. But I don't think, you know, there are, there are guys who create five-year, 10-year plans. And, you know, I, what, early on, I thought, okay, 10-year plan, I'll be 30. 10 year, by 30, I, I want to be a head coach. I need to be a head coach. But, you know, I found sometimes that actually limited me. Yeah. Because I might, have over, I might have oversaw some details or might have missed something that would you know, prevent me from having success in my success in my current position. But for other people, I just always say, just don't rush it. Take the time, assess and analyze where you are and where you want to get to and make sure you're just taking the necessary steps to learn, to ask questions and obviously grow your network so that you can rely upon other opinions that will help you get what you want out of the sport. So as a developmental coach, I'll ask, um, well, for us, but definitely for the fans, because I, I think we know. Um, wh- what do you do? Is it working special teams? Is it working individuals? Are you assigned certain individuals? Um, I know that's a lot of questions, but I'd be like, if I'm a player and you go, hey, man, uh, I've been assigned to you, you know, to help you with such and such. Am I thinking, oh, man, I'm in bad shape. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I guess I'll, I'll touch on my my role with the Leafs and a little bit of a backstory. So my, my role as a coaching development associate was a position that was created by the Maple Leafs that was targeting ethnic and minority groups with hope of, you know, creating exposure and opportunities for diverse coaches. And within that role, they wanted to create and give hands-on experiences with all three teams in, in their organization. So to give you a little bit of a backstory, starting with the Maple Leafs, while I was working with the Maple Leafs, I was responsible from the video side of things. I was able to work on the five-on-five pre-scouts for the coaching staff. So I would present five-on-five pre-scouts for our upcoming opponents that I was assigned. And I had a little bit of a make-it moment when we were in Calgary playing the hometown Flames of mine. I had the opportunity to run the team meeting, actually, and present to the players, nice. which was, uh, you know, for for me, that was that was the highlight of my coaching career to date. Now, we lost the game, but 
<laughs> to say that I ran to say that I ran the meeting, I mean, I right. you know, I'm I'm very, very proud of, of that. You know, I was able to work with the development staff and work with players as far as their skill development and you know, transitioning over to the Marlies. You know, I actually got into a few games on the bench with the Marlies. You know, I think I was on the bench for about six or seven games. So I got firsthand bench coaching with in the American Hockey League, you know, primarily working with the forwards. Or giving them that feedback and that, you know, analytics and whatever they needed at the bench at that time, assisting with practices. And again, sticking with that development stuff, working with the development team and the players and again, developing them. And then lastly, with the growlers, you know, Eric Wellwood and his staff gave me a ton. You know, I was on the bench for every game that I was present for with the growlers, obviously going on the, the playoff run that we did against Florida in the Eastern Conference final. I was a part of that. I had the opportunity to run the face-offs and just, again, be fully immersed in how the Maple Leaf organization ran things. And one of the things that I'm looking back on it in my position, I was fortunate enough to spend so much time with all three teams. I was able to build relationships with the players. And case in point, the players that were transitioning between whether it was the Marlies and the Leafs or the Marlies and the Growlers. And I, I took it as a real positive that, you know, the players, when they're transitioning or they're getting called up or they're getting reassigned, that they had a familiar face. And especially for the younger guys that might be new to pro hockey that were coming in and out. And if, if I was there with them, they at least had a little bit of a familiarity that they could easily adjust to the new team that they're with after X amount of time away. So I thought that was a real positive. And it was a tremendous year that went by really fast. I believe I had three seasons and one between the NHL, American League and the ECHL. Yeah, okay. It was it was a lot of traveling, not a lot of off days. My off days were often transition days from team to team. So I would spend my Sundays watching all the Marley games I missed or rewatching all the Leaf games that I might have missed. So the next morning, I was ready to answer any and all questions about the players or how the team was looking. So it was an unbelievable experience. And yeah. So over the years that you were assistant coach, whether it was um, you know with Tri City Americans this year as associate coach or in the AJHL, SJHL before. What do you consider, and I'm sure you have to be well-rounded, but what would you consider as your strongest position as far as coaching? Is it penalty kill, power play, offense, defense? If you, I guess, had to pick one, what would it be? That's a good question. I think I – I know well-rounded would be very cliche, but if I have to say anything, I think the creation of – Creation, I mean, everybody loves offense. You know, there's, right. there's a gentleman I've worked with in the past that says he doesn't talk about defense till after 12 o'clock in the afternoon. So <laughs> defense, defense can go by the wayside for now. But I think creating scoring chances and opportunities from, you know, from the defense and the offense, I just believe that there's so much opportunity with players. And, you know, I believe, obviously, you get the most out of your players when you talk about offense because everybody wants to score goals. You know, with my roles and responsibilities here in, in Tri-Cities, not only am I trying to generate opportunities off of face-off structure, but how can we keep plays alive in the offensive zone, whether it's playing on the end wall or changing the point of attack from behind the net. You know, looking at those little details are things that really excite me lately. And how can we get our D-men involved in creating those scoring opportunities when pucks get to the top? So I think it's kind of evolved. You know, when I was a younger coach, I really worked on the defensive side of things working with the D-men, their skills and their development, working on the penalty kill and how to keep goals out of the net. And I feel like over the last few years, it's transitioned on how are we going to put pucks into the net? So I'm going to go with offense here. So were there any major differences when you finally went over to the Maple Leafs organization, um, coaching uh, and doing your thing in the AHL, NHL? Was there any major differences compared to the AJHL, SJHL, any of those? I mean, I'm sure there is with the pros, but like 
as far as the X's and O's goes, how the game is played? I, I find at the junior level that the structure is much different team by team, whereas in the NHL, I find a lot of the structure is quite similar, you know, whether you're going team by team. Everybody has their little adjustments and their little uh, differences with how they might defend or what their triggers might be on their special teams, but I find a lot of it to be very similar, and that's when you see the skill set really take over. Interesting. Okay. Yes. So a couple coaching questions here, uh, particularly dealing with, you know, the younger players so dealing with the junior players. Um, they're obviously learning how to be adults at the same time of trying to be, you know, the best hockey player that they can. And it's uh, difficult. I mean, you there yourself. Um, how do you as a coach, how can you balance the pressure you put on them to become a better hockey player to kind of understanding and helping them navigate that world of being a, you know, a dumb teenager. Well, at, at the end of the day, as a coach, we we're dedicated to developing people. You know, this has become, and even in the last 10 years, I've seen firsthand the growth in the game from being a very execution based now transitioning over to more of a relation based relationship based ideology, excuse me. I find now that it's more important, you know, I'll cross-reference the start of my season here as a new coach for the, for the second time with the Tri-City Americans organization. I spent a lot more time talking to the guys, getting to know them, getting to know where they're from, getting to know what their parents did, more so than I spent coaching them the X's and O's. You know, as a young kid, you know, where we are as a franchise, we're in Washington State. You know, a lot of these guys are from BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. Like, they're coming far distances away from home. So I believe, and I wanted to take it upon myself and Stu Barnes and Jody Hall, the other coaches that I'm working with here, have done a really good job of just saying, hey, no matter what happens this season, we're going to be here for you because we know who you are. You know, we've established that rapport that, you know, we're taking care of people and we'll take care of the hockey player after. We want to make sure you guys are comfortable. You guys are in an environment where you fully believe that you're going to play at your very best, but you're also going to grow. We put a lot of opportunity for our team to spend some time together, you know, whether it's at the rink or away from the rink that we do some team building activities as well. But we just want to make sure that they're coming into a place that they can refer to as their second home. So I believe that that is the basis of all structure, whether structure, culture, whatever you want to call it. But I believe that the relationship aspect of things is just so important. And so with the NHL changing so much and obviously that trickles down all the way down to even junior leagues and lower than that. Talk to us about the cult or the coaching culture, excuse me, because we just saw the other day Alan Walsh, the uh, NHL agent, make a statement um, about his client, I would assume, um, and kind of calling for the head of Sutter and saying that, you know, with the negativity that he puts on it um, and on the players, that it can be hard to um, enjoy what you're doing now. And with that, he may not get the effort that they want from him. We're talking about Calgary here. And, you know, even the attitude that he had, I know, like a few weeks ago when they had mentioned one of their top prospects that had made the jump up and they're asking about his game. And he had said, who, what number was he? You know, so that kind of like distant coaching, that hard style. Do you do you see those kind of coaches in that style really filtering out? Now, I know that they're still being recycled in the NHL level and stuff, but you're definitely taking a much more. Uh, progressive, modern approach to what you need to do to develop these players now. Do you, do you think that that style is really running loose? Well, that's hard, man. You're asking him to like talk smack about the Calgary Flames coach. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd want to answer that. Not question. necessarily that, but uh, just the style of coaching. 
you know, as I'll just talk about Calgary in a sense, as I, I grew up there, I went to Flames games all my life and I still cheer for them so deeply. You know, that city has a lot of passion. And it's, you know, even as myself, I think even on my Twitter bio, I say I'm a proud Calgarian. And with that comes a lot. And I, lo I love the Flames organization very dearly. And I know that, you know, they, they, it appears that they have some things to sort out after what appears to be a down season over seasons past. But the one thing I'll say about, about coaching is I, I believe that teams have their needs. And I believe that, especially at the NHL level, everyone has a reason for doing things. And, you know, in the NHL, unfortunately, you have such a short leash for trial and error. I believe that nowadays, if you, sometimes if you make a mistake or you might say the wrong thing, that, that leash is tugged on pretty tightly and rather quickly. Um, I just believe that, you know, every, everyone has the intention of doing things for the right reasons and whether it works or not, then it's okay to hit the reset button, maybe go back to the drawing board and find a new plan of attack and try and progress from there. So at what point, and I know you're in a difficult spot now because you, you're dealing with younger players. Um, and I guess maybe we should, this would be directed more, maybe, maybe the East coast or American league. Um, a lot of things you've got your formula, you've got your, your, your structure, your, your program you're doing, you want the players to buy into the system, but at, at what point is it, can it become too much X's and O's and is so much uh, constraint on players or certain players, types of players that um, maybe the coach needs to let go and let the players hockey IQ take over, or is that really a tight rope, you know, to pull on where it's a, always a give and take. Yeah, and I, I think finding the common ground there would just to be create habits and concepts within your structure. And from there, it, whether let's just say you go with the common one of pressure, support, and more support. So you, let's say from, from an offensive tactic, you want to pressure the puck, you want to support the puck, and then you want to support the guy that's supporting the puck. So let's just say you introduce that concept into your training camp, or even you reintroduce that concept at the midway point of your season you take that concept and that framework and you instill it in your practices and you run your offensive zone sets. So you might run your four check and you see how the players react to it. And from there, you as a coach can kind of put your finishing touches on it within the structure of, okay, I love that you pressured like this, let's pressure like this. And maybe let's make this little adjustment so that our support guy can get the puck this way. Or if you're pressuring this way, then, okay, you're going to get the puck and then it's on. I think um, I think sometimes we as coaches can overthink the game a little bit. But at the end of the day, like I said at the beginning, players are the ones that are executing. Players are the ones that are putting the puck in the net. Players are the ones that are running the route. So if you can give them the tools and the guidelines, like the habits, the concepts, they should take over the rest of the way. Right. So when you're recruiting a prospective player, of course, you want to have everything, all the boxes checked. Uh, you know, you want him to be, you know, whatever the position requires, if it's, if it's fast uh, agility, if it's uh, puck control, puck possession, whatever the case may be. But one of the things that might be overlooked sometimes because some players are so talented is competitiveness, you know, that mindset to come to compete and yeah. not to be aggressive, but to compete would, does that competition personality or whatever you call it dynamic can that be uh can that make up for say someone that uh, isn't protecting protecting the puck too well 
or, you know, meaning one of those boxes aren't checked, but the competitiveness, the passion can, can help, or is it nowadays, everything's got to be checked? No, I believe, I believe competitiveness goes along with two words of sacrifice and character. You know, those that are going to be relentless in their pursuit of success, but also rather their pursuit of getting better. You know, I believe that players that are willing to compete and compete in every single situation, not only make themselves better, but they make everyone else better. You know, you, you oftentimes cannot teach competitive, competitiveness to some, but competitiveness is still contagious, that it can bring people up and empower them to respond in a positive way, maybe differently. Maybe they might you know, have a boost of morale or a boost of energy, and they might substitute their quote unquote competitiveness, compete, physicality, whatever word you want to use with a skill play or a hard back check or a block shot, or I know block shots oftentimes relate to competitiveness, but competitiveness is a contagious thing that boosts energy. So I think someone who has that, I think is a really important piece to your team because they can build and bring up so many of those around them. So uh, goaltending, and I know it's something you, you might not deal with too much. I only bring this up, and I know they have goaltending coaches and everything else, but it seems like when we've talked to former players and former goalies, right, Andrew, uh, they talk about when they played anywhere from 10 years ago to 40 years ago, we've talked to goalies. They kind of say, uh, coach never says anything to me. Is that changed? Is it kind of like still leave the goalie alone? They're weird, but I mean, like the coach is like, I don't know what to say. What are you going to say to him? Just stop the puck. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) but, or is it now that coaches are supposed to have a working knowledge, at least of goaltending? You know, I'm, as I'm sure you've heard many times, a lot of coaches confess they're not goalie gurus. Our goalie coach, Ty Rimmer, does a great job with our guys. I mean, he comes in uh, once a month to work with our goalies. But for us, with Stu and Jody, myself, we put a lot of time or a little bit of discussion on you know, talking with our goalies, making sure we know how they're feeling, making sure they're getting the reps and the drills that they need work on. And for us, it's, it's also a matter of, you know, they're in control of what they want to get. You know, for us, we want, just want to make sure we have an open dialogue. And for us, we oftentimes will open up that little bit of vulnerability. We'll ask the question, okay, what did you see here on this puck touch? What did you see on this save? How can we understand where you're perceiving it? You know, we don't claim to be experts, but we feel as though we have some general knowledge. So we'll ask the question about stick positioning or even where you are in your crease or your movements. And if they have an answer to substitute it, or maybe they often say, ah, oh, I didn't see it that way. That's an interesting perspective. It just, again, opens that dialogue that you know we're all learning from. And so let's now fast forward a little bit. Let's talk about your new job now. You're returning to Tri-City Americans this season, um, this time as associate coach. First question, though, what is, is there a difference between associate and assistant? Coach? You know, not really. I see really. this all the time, the differences. I'm like, what is the difference? No, not really. I, I think it's a, it's a matter of, just just the title you know okay. I mean, i'm still an assistant coach and uh, i'll take the associate tag don't get me wrong but it's just it's no different so what is, what are you uh, in charge of currently yeah so i oversee a lot of the video in the five on five pre-scouting i work with with Stu barnes our head coach on the power play and i oversee a lot of the skill development with our players with both the forwards and the d but for us we're, we're really fortunate here that you know we're all tied into everything together we're just one rather fluid staff and one one day jody will take the forwards i'll take the d and we can switch there's really no set 
role and responsibility. Now, as the younger guy, I am the, you know, the token IT guy and the guy that can solve all the problems of my experience. <laughs> you know, you know I, I do solve all the, all the issues and, you know, all, all that stuff. But, you know, a lot of it is forward based and working with those guys and trying to, you know, get them better. That's fun. So as pro players that are working up in the minor pro circuits, we hear a lot that, you know, during the summer, you don't get paid. You sometimes have to go and get another job. Are you doing anything during off seasons? Cause I feel like coaches don't take breaks or they're not supposed to. So do you do any coaching during the off season? Yeah, are you or? busy or during the off season? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the last couple of years, I mean, I I've been fortunate to have been you know employed full-time by the team. So I've made my team, my job in the summertime by looking at old tape, getting in touch with players. You know, last summer I was running the summer skates with the Maple Leaf organization. So I was right in Toronto up until I moved over here into Tri-Cities. And the, the year before that was COVID. So, you know, I mean, I spent, you know, we're always trying to find ways to get better as a group. And for me, I'm going to undertake some projects and try and find out more ways to score goals and look to defend. Um, I'll probably look to get in touch with some old players of mine and see if there's some summer skates that could be ran in Calgary because I don't really want to be off my skates for that long. But for me, you know, everyone does need a break, whether they say it or not. You know, yeah. I think, I think burnout, burnout is becoming increasingly apparent in coaches in some aspect. And, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, we're people too. We need, we need to hit the reset button from time to time. We might need to go grab our golf clubs and hit the links for a week or, you know, at least just get out, see the, see our families get out in the sun so maybe a little bit of a break some downtime but won't be too far away from the video for long so coaches that we've talked to and uh, most have actually been collegiate coaches mm -hmm. andrew i think um and one of the problems that they talk about and we'd like to get your perspective is young people today with the reliance on their smartphones and the lack of communication meaning young people today uh really you know, may lack just basic communication skills. They're so used to being on their phones. That's how they communicate. It's text, text groups. And, you know, we've even had, uh, we won't mention the name, uh, but uh, uh, one of the coaches, he's more of my age in his fifties. And, you know, his response was, you know, the play broke down because they weren't talking to each other. And, you know, his response was, well, maybe you guys should text each other next time. You know, that type of thing it was one <laughs> of his funny stories, but um, do you do you see that? And if so, how do you deal with like a new generation that really has to communicate in a different way than in the past? Yeah, I mean, you you have to get creative, I think. I, I, I mean, I do see it. I think it's apparent that the communication skills are just different. You know, I'll talk a little bit about the past and how we've done things is like when I was in Bonneville, for example, we had noticed that that was a, a little bit of a trend with our players. So we instilled within our team building aspect, we did a little bit of public speaking. Hi, my name is TJ. I'm from Calgary. Here's two truths and maybe one lie and call me out. Or maybe it's a little bit of a story time. But we want to put pl our players in a position of a little bit of being uncomfortable speaking, you know, because when they when they get in the real world, whether they become teachers or businessmen or whatever the case may be, they have to they have to public speak and they have to be comfortable in those situations so we want to try and have our players interact with one another as possible and when us like when i'm dealing with a player i'd much rather call them and have that conversation if they're away versus texting them yeah. but at the same time for us as as coaches we have to remain fluid and we have to adapt as well and oftentimes it very well may be that 
we do have to socialize with our players via text or they communicate with players via text. Like I do know that there are some teams in our league that as opposed to pre-scouting as a team, they'll actually send the team the video and they'll review it on their phones on the bus. And that opens for a potential conversation later, or there may not be any conversation at all. So by you can use social media and the way the phones work as a tool for coaching. But at the end of the day, I believe personally that it's important to have those conversations and to put them in situations where they have to chat. Yeah. The, yeah. The question is, though, using all that technology, can you get it past a coach who's my age or like Stu? He's <laughs> probably my age or a little bit older. Yeah. Sometimes I think Dude, that's why he hired me because I get to help him. <laughs> What's that's text? Funny. Yeah. So dealing um, with player agents and, and I know there's rules and stipulations uh, when they're young and maybe they're not agents, they're advisors or whatever. Um, is that a, uh, becoming more prevalent? Do you think, uh, do you have, do you and the coaching staff have to deal more with that? Or is that still sort of at the junior level, you're not really dealing with too much of that? I would find at least here, you know, our, our general manager, Bob Torrey, does a, a really good job of establishing those relationships with the agents and the advisors. You know, as, a, as an associate coach at this level, I'm not having a lot of those, <clears throat> excuse me, conversations. Um, but for us, I mean, we, we've got a, a strong scouting staff that is responsible for handling those and having discussions about the upcoming draft and players and their preferences as to where they want to play. So for us, I mean, we're pretty lucky that we don't have to deal with that a ton right now. <clears throat> but in, in my past experiences, it was it's no different than anyone else when you're recruiting. It's just having open and honest conversations and, you know, advisors are looking out for the best interests of their players. And for us, we want to make sure we're doing our part to answer any questions that they have. And whether it's in season, you know, I've always been a, a transparent person and a transparent coach that it's a matter of anything you guys want to know, we're more than willing to have the conversation and go from there. So tough question. Um, player isn't, uh, and, and I guess let's maybe make this pros, not junior. So pros bit different, right? Playing to support families, grown men here. Uh, so either East Coast American League, I would assume NHL, you're not having too much of a conversation, but and just talk about what maybe your experiences, what you've seen, what maybe what you've done. Um, but players not doing what you need them to do. So you sit them down, you give them time, you explain either the role or what they're doing wrong, what you expect over the next. And depending upon what it is, how much time you give them to make those corrections and you want to give them the support to go. We believe in you. We're here for you. But there's also that line of, okay, it's not working. How does a coach come to that point? Hmm. It's a real, it's an interesting question. Um, we, we only know it because we, we talk to coaches. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, that, I mean, that's all we get is our questions based on what we hear, yeah. but that's kind of an important thing. Like, how much time, you know, when do you, when do you call it and say, this is just not working? I think, I think it's an entirely situational. I, I want to say an average of, you know, at, at that level, I mean, you know, expectations and results are so critical. I believe you got a pretty short window. It's, I want to say it's two to two games, three games to sort it out maybe. And that's probably even pushing it. But as far as, you know, the decision-making within my role last year, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't really involved in those conversations and anything like that, but, you know, from this level, you know, it's, it's all about accountability. 
at the pro level, I, I believe that one thing you should never question is a player's work ethic. And oftentimes a work ethic is never in question because as you mentioned, it's their job. They're working to provide for themselves, for their families. And it's really interesting. A, a guy I was working with, but put a thought into my head when I first started my position last year, he says, it's going to be really interesting for you to start watching puck battles. You take into consideration a young player who might be just coming in on his entry level contract versus a 28, 29-year-old American League call-up player and who's going to battle for that puck. He says, you've got a player who is just learning how to be a pro versus a player who is a pro, who is an established professional, who is of the mindset that they will do everything in their power to win that and recover that puck battle because they know that that's going to assist their overall quality of life and their family's quality of life. And it really opened my eyes towards the execution and the overall willingness to compete at that level so when things like that if it comes to a head with a certain player you know i firmly believe that the, the context of the expectation and the accountability part is so huge that once it gets to that point if there isn't anything done to remedy it then I, the writing very well may be on the wall it's interesting because you know i always think about you know the way that you talk to players like let's say along the lines of what my father was saying if they're messing up, if they're not doing well, when you sit down and talk to players, when you're comparing it in the ECHL, AHL, the pros that have done this, that have families to feed versus just young kids, I assume when you have sit down and have the conversations with them, it's much different than when you have a conversation with the younger kids, right? Like, how do you talk to a grown man that he knows he's screwed up, he knows he's probably going to get dropped down, take a pay cut or whatever? How do you talk to them whether it's like hey man you need to do this better or a pep talk like hey it's gonna be okay work hard to get back well, yeah that's true i mean how do you how do you how do you balance the two yeah yeah uh i i well for me personally i mean i i don't differ away from anything that i've done or how i've approached talking to players in the past i mean for me I, i'm just such a believer in the relationship and the building people up component whether it's you know or even a level of vulnerability as i mentioned before help me help you what can i do for you to get over this hump, to get over this little slump. You know, here's here's some clips that I'm seeing. Here's things that we can do to fix this. I love your input and see what you're seeing. And then maybe we can come to a conclusion. You know, for me, I, I'm not one to bring the hammer down on anybody for any reason. I'm a matter of, you know, it's important for me to come to some kind of mutual agreement or some reasoning. You know, I've, I'm not at that level where I'm a head coach and I have to be firm and overly decisive with my decision-making, but I'm trying to give the players the benefit of the doubt to help them get out of what or whatever it is it may be. So I have, I only have two more questions, Andrew, and one isn't mine. So <clears throat> um, somebody uh, sent this question to us uh, that they want to know about coaching. And uh, I guess it's uh, somebody that is looking to get into coaching. I'm not sure at what level, but, um, obviously like a paid gig and they would say what is like a coaching interview like like what you know is it similar to like the questions we're asking or I mean what is it like to be like in an interview for an associate coaching position yeah I mean I've I've had a few and they've ranged anywhere from build a 90-minute practice plan with this concept and let's discuss the teaching points and the key points of the drill. And then let's see how it is to the point of talking about overall philosophy to as much as a you know video presentation. For me, I just think inside the interview piece, it's important to just be prepared, be prepared, um, but be open to any opportunity that may present itself. 
you know, and whether it's a simple conversation, whether something is doctoring up a practice plan, I find that they're all different. I've never, I've never had an interview that's been the same. There's always been some kind of nuance that's been different, but be open and ready for anything. And isn't there, and I think you've mentioned it, you know, uh, and you certainly wouldn't be the first one to say this that we've talked to, that sometimes your first foray into coaching is sort of a, a like a non-paid volunteer, whatever type position. I mean, we've talked it all the way from Mark Strobel, mm-hmm. who was yeah. out at, uh, teaching out at Wisconsin, all the way to uh, Jeff Tui, who was you know, general manager, um, you know, up there in uh, the junior leagues. Yeah, the major junior up in Canada. I can't remember what. Oh, he's going to be mad if he's listening to this because mm-hmm. I don't remember. Anyway, yeah, they all started out like in volunteer positions. So it kind of seems like if you're looking to getting into coaching. It isn't like you're going to just start off at like a position you're thinking you are. It's going to be, and I think you said it like sort of, yeah, you're going to have to do some interning or some volunteering. And then that develops when you develop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as I said, with being ready and open to anything. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of us as coaches, we're very fortunate to be able to say that this is our full-time occupation, but a lot of us did start there, you know, and it's a matter of, you know, when I look at my opportunity to go to Finland, I believe there's something that coaches have to do to get their foot in the door. Once, once you do have that foot in the door, the opportunity is yours and it's up to you to, you know, seize that opportunity to advance and go from there I think you know a lot of a lot there are a lot of coaches in in hockey currently that transition from playing into coaching or from studying into coaching but there are a lot of us as well that have to start whether it's quote-unquote at the bottom or whatever it may be but all you have to do is start give yourself a chance and you know you never know what you could accomplish inside your coaching it's just important to to begin if you're if you're passionate about it then dive in head first well, I just have one more question for you, and we'll uh, we'll get a little personal with this one. So, obviously, everybody's goal, whether it's player or coach, would probably be to go to the NHL, right? The big money, you got the biggest league, the most uh, talented players in the world. But for you personally, other than maybe getting up to the NHL level, what are your goals as a coach? Do you want to eventually find, um, whether it's a team in the WHL, AHL, just to have a team you stay with for a while? Is it to keep hopping back and forth? What are your goals? No, for me, for me, I want to continue along my path and coach at the highest level that I can. You know, I, I have had opportunities to explore the head coaching role myself over the last couple of years. But for me, I felt, you know, being in the position that I'm in currently, I think it's a great spot for myself. Uh, moving forward, I, I believe that, you know, being a head coach is something that I would like to go and try and see what I'm all about. I think I'm ready for that step, but it's a matter of the right opportunity and the right time for myself. You know, I'm not going to be in a rush to dive into an opportunity that may not be the right fit for me, but Mm -hmm. right now in Tri-Cities, I believe that we've got a really good thing going. And if, if the opportunity presents itself to go back to the the professional ranks, you know, the Toronto Maple Leaf organization showed me what pro hockey is really all about. And, you know, I loved it. If it does have an opportunity to return, then I would most certainly welcome it but by no means am I in a rush, but hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. My last question is, is there sort of an unwritten rule or not rule, but maybe unwritten philosophy where, um, I mean, you've learned so much as a, as a coach already and still learning and developing and, and doing all those uh, skills necessary to be, you know, the best you can be. You're not an intern. I mean, you got a gig. So it's not like it's their job meeting the head coaches or other other coaches, but is there still like an unwritten philosophy of 
they're still kind of mentoring you or coaching you along the way? Or is it more like, no, there's none of that. It's me kind of observing and picking up stuff. No, it's, it's all about mentorship. And I've been extremely lucky to, to work with the head coaches that I've worked with. And they've all given me so much. I, you know, I've, I've taken a little piece of them from every year that I've been with them, whether it was Rick Swan and Bonneville or Sheldon Keith, Greg Moore, Eric Wolwood, you know, the list goes on and on. But, you know, and I'm really fortunate working with Stu. I mean, Stu, Stu played 1,200 games in the NHL as a player. He had an opportunity to coach there. So he's worn both hats at that level. And now he's come here in his second season as a head coach. He's brought Jody and I in for the first year here, and he's sharing his knowledge. You know, Jody, Jody Hall himself, he was a coach in the Ontario League for 18 years. So it's constant information and sharing and new opinions and new ideas. And, you know, I've never been in a situation where I haven't felt like I wasn't able to learn from someone. And these, these coaches that I've been with, they've all been forthcoming with their efforts to make me better. And I hope that if I am in a head coaching position that I will do the exact same if I'm presented the opportunity. So it's, it's all about sharing. Everyone wants to see everyone succeed. We're this coaching community here is so strong. And even those that I haven't worked with, I find that there are a lot of coaches that, you know, will reach out and ask questions. And next thing you know, I've got a new friend that I'm talking about NutriZone regroups with on the phone every Wednesday night kind of thing that it's, it's a, it's a special game. It's a special group of, of people and coaches that we get to be a part of all the time. And, you know, just fortunate to be here and fortunate to learn. Well, we can't thank you enough for your, your time, man. This has been a great interview. Actually, I've learned a, a, a ton. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for yeah, your time today, Thank man. you so much. Appreciate you. And we, uh, we wish you well. We'll, you know, certainly follow your career. And um, we always say this with uh, coaches that are uh, um, look like they have a bright future. Hey, if you get a, a head job, you know, wherever, just remember it was Jim and Andrew that had you on the podcast. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely, guys. Uh, don't worry. If we're ever in the same area, I'll make sure to look you guys up. But, yeah, make sure tickets will be at will call for you guys. Thank you guys so much for your consideration and uh, the last hour of you guys' time. I appreciate the work you guys do. And, you know, this is this is what it's all about, having conversations, talking hockey, and sharing knowledge. So thank you guys very much. It's It's great what you guys are doing. Thank you, man. Man, he's going to have a heck of a career. Absolutely. Interesting to talk to uh, another up-and-coming coach. I mean, you know, young guy. I don't want to say he's young because he's, you know, but he's 30s. Yeah. And that's a young guy to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, you know, we said at the end, two very insightful answers. Yeah. You know, we've, we've had, you know, any coach that we've had on here, whether it's assistant, head, whatever, They've all been great, but it's just good when you can get down to the really nitty gritty details. And some of them come from our questions too, man. I'm sure that they don't want to talk about X's and O's or think, well, you know, we'd care to hear it, but we are trying to, you know, take that background information out and really get into the coaching stuff. It is. So it's going to be interesting to follow this guy's career. Yep. And uh, another good contact for us. And again, the hockey world is small and uh, we, we hope to, uh, Follow all these guys. Absolutely. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in. Appreciate y'all. Bye-bye.